Hey, if you're just getting caught up with us today, um, go ahead and make sure you got your Bibles open. And uh, we're going to be in Romans today. If, you're, if you've been away for a while or if you're, if you're new today, our summer series has been the book of Romans, which comes right after Acts, uh, about three-fourths of the way through your Bible, uh, if you haven't had a chance to find that yet. And so that's where we're going to be. Um, hopefully you've been reading along at home. And if you need a little guide for that, um, a reminder, every single week on the back of your bulletin, there's a, there's a, a, a weekly reading guide that kind of leads you up to the scripture for that week and gives you some scriptures around it. And so we encourage you to do that. Also, just a reminder, uh, the pursuit, the Bible study is going on on Sunday night. So join uh, Pastor Ben for that. There's some great things happening there every single week, 7 o'clock at the Dolls uh, on Ingersoll. So we encourage you to check that out um, as well. So a lot of good ways to, to dig into Romans. Um, and uh, as you're turning there, uh, I want to tell you uh, a quick story. Um, it's probably no secret by now that growing up, I love sports. Uh, you've probably uh, heard this by now. Uh, you know that if you come here, Pastor John doesn't give a lot of sewing illustrations. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know uh, a lot about that, so I'll tell you what I do uh, know about. So seventh grade, uh, do you remember what you were like in seventh grade? Weird looking, probably, right? Yeah, the whole puberty thing just kind of messes with you, right? Um, so here I am, and uh, I'm probably like four feet tall. I weighed 77 pounds in seventh grade, okay? I was squat, okay, in a football uniform. I was like dinky, okay? So, but the one thing that I could do was play basketball, and I could dribble because I was low to the gr- ground, and so my favorite thing to play was basketball, uh, and uh, we thought we were pretty good. That is until one day we played Boone. Does anybody know where Boone is? Know where Boone, Iowa? Okay, some of you know where Boone. So Boone was like the intimidating uh, uh, group. Boone was like, they were just known for being bigger and stronger and taller and faster and much more manly than we were in seventh grade. So I remember this one game, we're going to play Boone and we're doing our warm-ups and we're thinking, man, it's our first game of the year and we're really excited and we're doing warm-ups and layups and out of the locker room comes the Boone players and we're like, okay, they're a little bit taller than us. Okay, they're really taller than us. And all of a sudden I look over and there's this huge, tall, hairy, non-seventh grade looking man with a mustache, right? I think he looks something like this. I don't know. Um, something like that. If you want to go to the next slide. Uh, well, wait a minute. I don't, I guess he had a mullet too. I didn't realize that he had a mullet, but uh, I guess that was that was in when I was growing up. Maybe not. But uh, so this guy was just huge. And I was like, man, this guy's like Goliath. And so I was so uh, intimidating. And so um, this guy ended up being our worst nightmare the whole game. Because every time we try to go up for a shot, this guy's like 6'2 or 6'3, right? Which is huge for seventh grade, right? And it, it felt like here I am, this puny little kid from Story City, small town Iowa, that's trying to be the next Michael Jordan. And every time we'd go up, what happens? Swat, rejection, nailed to the floor, you know, block shot, all that thing. And with every play, like our confidence went down and down and down. And every time he'd come, he'd just block our shot. He was like saying, fear the mustache, right? <laughs> So that was his big thing. So, um, and, and it wasn't just how tall or big he was or how hairy this guy was. It was what he kept saying. So every time that myself or one of my teammates would go up for a shot, I guess it was the thing to say at the time, but every time he'd come up and he'd block the shot and he'd kind of stand over you and he'd ask this question, who's your daddy? <laughs> you remember this? Remember that was kind of the, the end thing to say? 
Well, being from Story City, I wasn't hip with the big town lingo, I guess, so I didn't know what that meant. So the whole game, I'm really frustrated because he'd block my shot and he'd block a, 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 a teammate's shot. He's like, who's your daddy? Hey, you, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? He just kept saying this over and over, and I just wanted to stop the game because I didn't get it. I was like, you don't have to keep asking. It's Stefan. Like, I can tell you, right? And that guy that you just blocked, that's, that, his is Larry, right? And his dad's Bill over there, right? But he just kept saying, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? And then for some reason, it, it will obviously hit me later on as this tall, hairy, ogre, mustache, mullet man is like standing over me, right? I got the feeling because of the intimidation he wanted to bring, he wasn't too interested in knowing about my father, right? That wasn't his primary motivation, And yet I was reading our scripture this week from Romans 8, and I remember this experience, and most importantly, I remember this big mustache man's question. And it kept coming back to me that somehow, by questioning my father, that that was supposed to intimidate me in some powerful way. And so looking back on this question, I think without even realizing it, the mustache man was onto something. Without even realizing it, as fact, as, as it turns out in our scripture today, how we answer that question in our lives, who's your daddy? <laughs> how we answer that question might be one of the most important things we ever do in our relationship with God. So let's dig in. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 is where, where we're going to start, and we're going to answer this question, who's your daddy? All right, so starting in verse 14, Paul says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption as his children or your adoption to sonship, depending on which translation you have. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And so if you're just getting caught up, what Paul is doing here in chapter 8, when we kind of arrive on the scene... All throughout Romans, chapters 1 through 7, Paul's been kind of setting the stage, reminding us this is who God is, this is who we are, we're separated from God because of our sin, and that's the kind of the stage he sets. And then a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Christ comes and rescues us from our sin, that that's the gospel. And so he's laid that foundation, but now we kind of turn the corner in Romans here in chapter 8, and what Paul is saying, okay, you're forgiven, right? You believe you're saved, you believe that you're, you're, you're set free, but for what? So Paul's answering the question now at the beginning of Romans 8, who are we now? If we're not stuck in sin, if we're not dying in our sin, then who are we now? And it's here in Romans 8 that Paul introduces one of the most prominent truths in the New Testament about our new identity and Christ, and it's used over and over, and we see it here in verse 14. We are now God's children. We're God's children, his sons and daughters. And if we're his children, that makes God our father, right? Our daddy, right? Over and over in Romans and beyond, this is how God chooses to explain our new relationship with him. You are my children and I am your father. I always have been. You may have been running from me. You may, if you're here today, you may still be running from him. But that doesn't change the fact he's your daddy. He's your daddy. And so I believe the, the, the answer to this question, why did, why did God choose this relationship, the, the, the father-child relationship to describe us? We've got to go back to Genesis. 
Genesis chapter 1, 26, and this is up on the screen, and let's read this together nice and loud. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness. So when every single one of us were, were created, we were created, hang with me here, in the image of the Trinity, which we know is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? In the image of the Trinity, they are in relationship. You know that? God is in relationship with himself, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when we read we were created in his image, that means we were created in relationship for relationship. So no matter how hard we try to fight it, at the very center of who we are, at the core of our being, our DNA, we were created to have a relationship with God as our Father, just as Jesus or God is in relationship with his son, Jesus, who he loves, so we are also children of God. So back to Romans. That's the context. And now Paul says in verse 14, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. In other words, all the love and affection that God has for his son, Jesus, he has for you as his son or daughter, as his adopted Son or daughter, as Paul says. In fact, just a side note here. Women, I'm going to use son or sonship because that's some of the language that Paul uses here. But you got to know, this is not a passage for men. This is a passage for all of us. Because the idea here is that in, in Paul's time, in the Roman culture, if this idea of the spirit of sonship, it reflects this idea of a son who has been adopted by his father, a child that's been adopted by their father. And because of that, it was said that sometimes even adopted sons are loved more than sons by birth. And it means that that adopted son has the full rights and the full privileges and is legally adopted into that family. So in other words, sonship isn't about guys. It's the best way that Paul could say, everything the father has is yours. Men and women, sons and daughters, meaning as kids, we get all the love, we get all the peace, all the strength, we get all the focus, all the admiration of our Father. So, when the world stares at you, when a big, hairy, ogre, mustache, mullet man stares at you, and this world tries to tell you otherwise and intimidates you, and the world says, Who's your daddy? What Paul's saying here in Romans 8 is we can say, Oh, my daddy? He's the king of the world. He's the king of the world. And I have nothing to fear. I have nothing to fear. And yet, I think if we're honest, we don't always live like sons and daughters that are loved and have nothing to fear, do we? We don't always live like that. That's not always the reality of our lives. In fact, I realized this for myself in a brand new way just a couple years ago. Um, does anybody like movies? Three of you. Good. All right. Uh, so this will apply to you then. So I love movies, and I found myself at the new Robin Hood movie. Uh, I love Robin Hood. Any Russell Crowe fans out there? Okay. Mostly ladies. Um, so I'm kidding. So I like Russell Crowe, and I was like, Russell Crowe is going to be Robin Hood. This is going to be awesome. The best of both worlds. So I'm at the new Robin Hood movie. And you might think, oh, John, you're probably going because it's like this man movie, and it's this tough guy movie, right? And there's going to be sword fighting, and there's going to be battles, and it's going to be great, and we're going to blow stuff up, what every guy loves, right? 
So I'm sitting there at this movie, and about halfway through, this scene comes on that just arrests me. And so there's this intimate scene where you catch a glimpse of Robin Hood as a little boy, and he's, he's putting, with his father, is putting his hand inside the print of his father. And his, his, his dad is, is with there with him, and it fits perfectly, almost like he was created in his father's image. And I'm watching this for the first time. Little Robin with his dad, and, and they're putting their hands on top of each other. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting at this tough guy movie, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm with some other guys, and I just start to lose it. Like, I just feel these tears rolling down my chin. Like, what is going on? <laughs> what is happening to me? I'm supposed to be tough. And I just, I, I got to thinking, and, and it hits me, I long for that. Like, I, I, I know that, but I long for a, a intimacy with my father. And I had a great dad. Don't get me wrong. This isn't some app, this, this hole that I don't have. I had a great Christian dad. But I long for this intimacy with the father. And then I started thinking about all the movies that have ever deeply moved me. A lot of the movies that you and I know that are popular. I'm like, what's, what's the common theme? And so I started thinking, first of all, what's the, the big movie that's out right now? Batman, right? That's the first one. What's the story of Batman? The Cape Crusader. It's about a son's relationship with his father and dealing with his past. And then I'm thinking, okay, uh, let's go back a little ways. How about Star Wars, right? Right? Is that just about lightsabers and saving pretty women and, and all sorts? What, what's Star Wars about? Violence. A son, <laughs> violence. <laughs> a son's relationship with his father, right? The most famous line in the whole movie, Darth Vader says to Luke, Luke, I am your father, father right? Yeah. And I start thinking about this, and then I'm like, okay, I'm trying to think of some more, like, really manly movies that the guys could relate to specifically, you know? And then I think of the most, you know, tough guy, epic, you know, drama guy movie that I could think of that speaks to the father-child relationship. And, of course, it's Elf. Yes. <laughs> you ever thought about this? What's the story? Is, is Elf about Christmas? Yes. Kind of. What's Elf really about? A son goes on a long journey to reconnect with his father. And I start thinking, oh my word, it's all over the place. And then I start asking my wife, this is about guy movies, I start asking my wife about some of the, the, the movies that she loves, and it's father-daughter. It's this father-child relationship. It's at the heart of the movies we love the most, it's at the heart of the music we listen to, the television that we watch, and it's the story of our lives. And we're a pretty diverse group here today. I mean, we've come from all over the place. But you know what the one thing that all of us have in common? We're sons and we're daughters. No matter what that relationship is like, that's the one thing we all have in common. Not just of earthly parents, but of a heavenly father. And if we're to live as children, Paul says, I've given you a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, and if we're going to learn how to live like sons and daughters, it would be important to know what the Father thinks of us, right? What kind of a father do we have? The, the, the movies and TV, they give us a certain image of the relationship, but what kind of a father do we have? And to do that, I actually want to look at the relationship that God has with Jesus 
as his son. So if you want to, turn to, turn to Matthew chapter 3. Keep your finger in Romans, because we'll be right back there. But Matthew chapter 3. And here we get a glimpse, one of the greatest pictures, not only of Jesus' relationship with his father, uh, but I believe God's relationship with all of us as fathers. So we show up on the scene. Jesus hasn't even begun his ministry yet. And we're at the River Jordan, and people are getting baptized. And here comes Jesus, and he's going to get baptized by John the Baptist. And we start in verse 16, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. And it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, settling on him. And then this is the last part of the verse that God says, and let's read this together. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. So that's what God says about his son, and we get a glimpse into God's heart for us. What we hear from God are two key things in this passage. Number one, affection, and number two, admiration. Affection and admiration. Affection meaning I love you, and admiration meaning I am proud of you. Think about this. We're not so different. I remember growing up, and, and whether it was like a Pinewood Derby or a basketball game or a t-ball game or whatever it was, when I looked up into the stands, who did I long to see? My dad. I mean, my mom's great too and everything because she was going to buy the food on the way home, but I longed to see my dad. And even in those rebellious teenage years where I was like, I don't want to be caught dead near you. I don't even know you because you are so not cool, Right? When I got home, I still long to hear from my dad, I love you, I'm proud of you, great game. That's what I wanted. That's what I longed for. And here's the incredible thing about Jesus getting baptized. At this moment, has Jesus done anything really? Has he done any ministry? Has he done anything great? No. And I don't think it's any accident that here, before he has done anything to earn the Father's love, he is given the Father's love. And we need to be reminded of that. Even if you've heard this story before, we need to be reminded of that over and over. What if I told you that the key to living as a son or daughter is believing in and living out what your Father says about you? That maybe by learning whose we are, we learn who we are. Let me say that again. By learning whose we are, we learn who we are. That we don't have to go on this mad search in our lives for identity. When God says, you are my beloved adopted son or daughter, we live into that and that's how we find our identity. However, the reality is for a lot of us is, and maybe for you, those are not the messages that you received growing up. Whether it was your dad, whether it was your mom, a grandparent, maybe it's just the voices of the world. Maybe it's the pain and difficulties that you've been through in your life. For a lot of us, those aren't the messages that we receive. So we read something like Romans 8 that says, you have nothing to fear anymore because you are adopted sons and daughters. And we go, yeah, right. Yeah, right, because that's not my experience. <laughs> That's not how I felt. That's not the, the, that doesn't line up with the, the pain that I've experienced in my life. 
And for some of us, what we've done is we take our view, our perspective of our earthly father, people that have been a father to us, and we project that on God. And we think, well, my father was passive, so God must be passive. We think, well, my father was angry, so God must be angry with me. Well, my father didn't show up, so I don't really believe that God's going to show up. And that's the image that we have of God as father. Yet, yet it's not just those, it's, 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 it's mothers. And, and I, I'm not harping on moms and dads, I'm just saying those are the primary influences in our lives. And so Paul says in verse 15, you are adopted sons and daughters. But a lot of times what we do is we end up living more like orphans. We end up living like Paul says, slaves. So as opposed to being love, adopted, free, and many times we end up questioning God's love, feeling abandoned and living in fear of God. That's not thinking of adoption. That's not sonship or being a daughter. That's thinking like an orphan or a slave. And so to give you a picture of what is the difference here between what Paul's talking about sonship and what uh, we sometimes experience as orphans, that we live our lives as orphans, I want to give you a picture from the most famous orphan of all time, Oliver Twist himself, okay? So as you watch this famous scene, see if you can't remember and think about, hey, how do I live my life like this sometimes? So let's check out how Oliver Twist functions as a boy. Let's take a look. Oliver, right? The most famous orphan of all. And I gotta lo- you got to love that big guy's voice, right? More, right? I just, that sticks out to me for some reason. He's going through puberty. I don't know. But. And even yet in the old musicals, what's the story? Fatherlessness. It's the entire story of Oliver. But the truth is, the reason I show you that is to tell you this. A lot of us are still living like Oliver, As an orphan, a lot of us are still seeing God as the taskmaster looking down on us with the big cane ready to punish us. That's our view of God. And you know what? You've been running. Most of your life, you've been running. And there's Oliver running around the room and all the kids are screaming. And he's finally caught because he's so afraid. Why else would he run? And so a lot of us don't live like sons and daughters. We live like orphans. We live like Oliver. And in fact, when you start to look at the comparisons of how orphans live versus how adopted sons and daughters live, it makes a big difference. And so I just want to outline a few of those for us. Remember our question that we posed at the beginning that the mustache man asked? It's who's your Who's your daddy? How we answer that question is going to mean a lot for what side you end up being on. So we have this dichotomy in our lives where some of us live like orphans and some of us are living out our identity as adopted. But there's a difference. Can everybody see that? Close enough? All right, I'll shout it out. So there's a lot of different ways that this gets lived out. How will we live as children of God? So first we talked about this one a little bit. Jesus knew that he was loved. Now Jesus was God's real son. He wasn't adopted. But if we are sons and daughters, we have to trust that we are loved above all else. 
But if you're an orphan, do you know that you're loved? No. Not necessarily, right? Your love is based on, what was it based on for Oliver? <laughs> Not screwing up your performance, right? So as orphans, we live in constant need to perform. Because we don't have that love yet. And some of you are still living like this. For Oliver, it was be better, finish your porridge, do your chores. We're no different. For us, it's be a better Christian, read your Bible more, pray more, right? Be a better father, be a better husband, be a better mom, be a better parent, be a better spouse, be a better Christian. That's not adopted thinking, that's orphan thinking. We're not fully living into our new identity in Christ. But next, here's, here's one that we talk a lot about at Hope, this idea of spiritual growth or discipleship, right? This is something we talked about with Dan yesterday with the guys, this idea of moving from immaturity to maturity. What's the one thing that Oliver doesn't have in the orphanage? Parents. He doesn't have a father that's teaching him what it looks like to be a man. If it was full of girls, there's no mom there to teach the girls what it looks like to be a woman. It's this idea of moving from immaturity to maturity. And for some of you, you're still living like orphans because you don't want to grow up, right? But what's the most natural thing for kids to do but grow up? What good and loving father doesn't want their kids to move from immaturity to maturity, right? We don't stay in kindergarten forever, right? I joke about adults going to Kingdom Quest. That would be a little weird, and I think I'd be knocking on your door and we'd have a conversation, right? Maybe, maybe now that you're 45, we can move you out of children's ministry and move you into a life group, right? Something would be wrong with that, right? God calls us to grow up. And the same thing is true here in the church, right? When Paul talks about the church all throughout the New Testament, he talks about a family. And how is the family made up? Adults that are modeling what it looks like to be a spiritual mother or father and raising up their kids from immaturity to maturity. Because in a family, there are no orphans. And so why would it be different in the family of God as sons and daughters. So what is it for you? Where's God calling you to move from immaturity to maturity? For some of you, it's the destructive habits you have. For some of you, it's, it's, it's the laziness in pursuing your spouse. For some of you, it's how you're taking care of your body and exercise and eating. For some of you, it's finding a new group of friends that's going to push you towards Christ instead of draw you away from him? What does it mean for you? Maybe it's stopping the comparison game with everyone around you saying, if I had that house or that car or that life, or if I had that marriage, if I had those kids, then I would be satisfied. Then I would be complete. That's orphan thinking. Because what does Jesus say as adopted sons? We are, back to Romans 8, we are heirs. We are co-heirs with Christ. Meaning everything that the Father gives Jesus, he gives to us. We are co-heirs. All he has is ours. 
as adopted sons and daughters. So I don't need to go scratching around saying, I need that, and I need that in this life, and I need that, and I need that to make me happy. We already have everything that we need. So we move from immaturity to maturity. But the last piece, and I I think there's one more difference, one more way that God wants to show us the difference. And we go back to Romans 8. Look at verse 15. And this is where we'll land today. Romans 8, verse 15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit we received gives you your adoption. And by him we cry, what do we cry? Abba, Father. So what Paul is asking us is, what happens to slaves like Oliver when they come up for seconds? (laughs) They're living in fear, right? Right? He doesn't just walk up to the head taskman and say, oh, can I have seconds, please? (laughs) Right? When Oliver walks up, he goes, I'm really scared of going up to him. Please, can I have some more? There's no trust because he's worried he's going to get punished. All the boys live in a constant state of fear, of being hit, of being screamed at, of being rejected. And now look at Romans 8 one more time. What Paul is saying, as long as your view of God in this life is an angry taskmaster who is ready to punish you, who sits and laughs when you pray. Some of you say that. I don't know how to pray. There is no wrong way to pray. (laughs) Because your father is not an angry taskmaster ready to punish you. Instead, Paul says... As adopted sons and daughters, we move from fear to freedom. That's huge. Huge. You want to go deep in your relationship with Christ? Learn how to be a son or daughter. To move from fear to freedom. Paul says in order to understand God as Father, we have to understand him as Abba. And in Paul's day, when you addressed a god, all the Roman gods, all the Greek gods were like the taskmaster. Big, powerful, angry, ready to punish you if you did something wrong. And along comes Paul and says, this is how you're to address God. Daddy. Daddy. And to not learn more theological information, not just to fill your mind with more books, not just to do one more Bible study, but the mark of a deep, mature relationship with your father is the ability to run up in his arms with complete freedom and vulnerability and say, Papa, here's what I'm struggling with in my life. Here's what's going on. Here's what I need help with. Have you ever noticed that God likes to send little reminders, glimpses of who he is when you least expect it? (laughs) For me, that came at Wrigley Field, right? And I know not all of you are Cubs fans, but it should not come as a surprise to us because the Cubs are God's team, and so he likes to show up there a lot. Just holding out this year, it's going to be this year. So it should not be hard to believe that I'm watching the Cubs game, and it's Kerry Wood's last game. Kerry Wood has been one of the best pitchers in Cubs history. He was just this phenom in his early 20s, and he needs to retire uh, after this next start. And so it's back in May, and I'm watching this game, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, I, I'm really going to miss Kerry Wood. He was a great pitcher 
and all. But what I wasn't expecting was how it ended for him. What I wasn't expecting is that by watching a Cubs game (laughs) and watching Carrie Wood as a father, I would get a glimpse of God's heart for us as adopted sons and daughters. So don't just watch the baseball game. Watch what happens at the very end. Let's take a look. Now that's a baseball game. So if you're Carrie Wood's son, what do you do when you know your dad loves you? You run and you jump in his arms without any fear in the world. And you hold on as tight as you can and it doesn't matter what everyone else thinks. It doesn't matter if there's 50,000 fans looking at you and you're one of the greatest pitchers in Cubs history. What's the most important thing at the end of the day but to give his son a bear hug? And so as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, this is the God we have. When you sit down to pray, when you sit down to pray, Do you believe that's the God that you pray to? That's the God that is calling out to you today. I want to have a relationship with you like that. (laughs) Where you can come sprinting out of the dugout no matter what's going on in your life, no matter who's watching. I don't care. I'm going to run to my Papa, that's the offer of the gospel that when the world looks you in the eyes and tries to intimidate you and says, who's your daddy? The king of the world. And I don't have a fear in the world because I can run to him as Papa. As we transition into worship, I don't think it's any coincidence (laughs) That when a small child, that when Carrie Wood's son wants to get his father's attention, what does he do? Dad. Abba, Father. Papa. And it doesn't matter if you're 8, 38, or 88. We all long for that. That's what you were created for, and that's what God offers. And so as we move into this time of worship, let's not just sing the words. If you feel comfortable as an adopted son or daughter, it doesn't matter who's looking at you or what's going on, just raise your hands. If that's the most authentic thing that you can do in worship, and as you're doing that, it's not a show, you're not saying touchdown, you're not checking your pits, you're reaching up and saying, Papa, Daddy, I love you. I love you. When we say the Lord's Prayer, how does it start? Our, when we worship, how should it start? Our Papa. It's no different. So let's stand together and let me pray for us and then let's respond and worship. So God, we love you. And we thank you for loving us. God, today is not another ordinary day. Today is a day that we have discovered a new way to see ourselves, not as slaves, not as orphans, but as children that were created to have a relationship 
with our Father in heaven. And, and God, I just ask right now that for those that their relationship with their earthly father or their earthly parents, whether there's pain there, whether there's wounds and tension, God, I pray that in a brand new way today that you would come and that you would heal, that you would speak into us and that you would remind us that you are a father that comes and saves us with your love and with your compassion and your grace. And God, we thank you for that today. And I pray that you would move us from immaturity to maturity as your people. I pray that you would move us from needing to perform for you to knowing that we're already loved. And I pray that you would move us from living in fear to living in freedom this week, right now, here today, that you would call us into that and that we would live out Romans 8 this week. God, we love you. And now we worship you. We lift our hands to you as our loving Father. And we sing to you and we say that you are mighty to save. And all God's people said together,